What if in 2024, you got a little bit better every day? When you're learning a new language with Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in a full year. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses are helping me learn real-life conversation skills in Spanish. It's getting so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, or speak to merchants. Studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com SPP. That's right. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest, I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Hello and welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. Chris Stemp here, and I'm so excited to have you here. Today, we take on a topic that most of us, not everyone, no judgment here, but most of us will experience at some point in our life, and that is parenting. Yes, I know I am slightly biased having a four-year-old and a one-year-old, so I kind of use this platform to be a better parent myself, but I also know how many of you out there are in the middle of parenting or going to be parents or maybe your grandparents trying to help out your kids who are parenting. Whatever it is, it is one of life's toughest challenges and so I'm told greatest experiences. Just kidding. I love my boys. But as much as I love them, I struggle constantly. And although I'm conscious and conscientious and well-read and I I try, sometimes it feels like failing. So probably without sleep one night, I found myself scrolling Instagram and succumbed to a webinar about parenting. And for once, I enjoyed the webinar. In fact, what was said on the webinar resonated so much, I said, I have to reach out to this person. And luckily, and I mean that in all sincerity, we were able to get our guest this week. Our guest this week is parenting expert, Amy McCready. Amy is the founder of Positive Parenting Solutions and the author of two best-selling books. Those books are The Me, Me, Me Epidemic, a step-by-step guide to raising capable, grateful kids in an over-entitled world. And if I have to tell you one more time, the revolutionary program that gets your kids to listen without nagging, reminding, or yelling. I just want you to 
sink into those, right? A step-by-step guide to raising capable, grateful kids. Yes, please. And a program that gets my kids to listen. Yes, even more, please. And Amy is one of those voices that is out there the most and the most well-respected. She is a trusted teacher by over 75,000 families worldwide. She's a regular contributor on the Today Show. She's been all over the media. She's been running her company for a long time with great results. And as you can tell from this upcoming conversation, she's the real deal. So no more need be said about that. We are going to be talking to Amy about parenting. And look, I just want to say in the past couple episodes, we've covered hacking. We've covered false news, fake news, misinformation. We've covered finding your passion, what passion means. We're now covering parenting. That's what this show is all about, a wide variety to continue your journey. If you want to support us so that we can all continue our journey, head on over to patreon.com slash smart people podcast. I know you think it doesn't matter, but it does. If we can get to 50 patrons, we've got a couple dozen to go, I think, we're going to start going back to weekly episodes. And we really could use your help. So even if it's $2 a month, $5 a month, I promise you, we are working to make it all worthwhile. Patreon.com slash smart people podcast. So I am so excited to bring this to you. Let's create a world of positive parents and better parents, myself included. We are talking to Amy McCready about all things parenting and specifically one of her best-selling books, The Me, Me, Me Epidemic a step-by-step guide to raising capable, grateful kids in an over-entitled world. Enjoy. The listeners know my story. I have a almost four-year-old and an almost one-year-old. And so I did kind of discover you organically. um, And I watched your webinars and I just said, I love your message. I love the approach you take, and I couldn't wait to have you on. Oh, thank you so much. So let's start here. The book that brought me in was your book, If I Have to Tell You One More Time. And it's really this idea, the way I summarize it is, how do we communicate with our kids in a way that gets us the results we want without doing damage, if you will, right? I like to think of it as, how do I do it without yelling? And here's my first question. How bad is it when I yell at my kids? (laughs) (laughs) Well, first off, like we have all yelled at our kids, right? I I think, you know, I call myself a recovering yeller. Yeah, I saw that. And and every parent is going to yell from time to time. And if we're yelling, if if those times are few and far between and for good reason, like, for example, you know, the child is running out into the street or there's some other reason why you need to get their attention quickly then by all means, yell. But if it's our kind of go-to response, then kids become parent deaf, meaning it's like, blah, 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 blah. (laughs) It all sounds the same. They just tune us out. And I think that's kind of where most parents are. They really don't have strategies that work that well. And so they're like nice the first couple of times and then they blow. Mm. And you know, over time, day in and day out, week in and week out, all that yelling, it's just parents don't feel good about it. And it's not effective because the kid's behavior isn't changing. And so there's the good news is there's a much better way than yelling and nagging and reminding and all those things that we tend to do. One of the things that resonated with me was 
when you explained why we need to correct children's behavior in the first place. I mean, essentially, when you truly understand how children misbehave, why they misbehave, then you get a little more into the psychology of understanding how to deal with it. So could you help us understand what's typically at the core of the way that children misbehave? Sure. And if we could just always remember that misbehavior is always telling us something. And sometimes it's like the simple stuff, like they're tired or they're hungry or, you know, some something easy to fix like that. But sometimes it tells us that there's something else going on. And we always frame misbehavior um, in terms of kind of two buckets. And if you could think about our kids as having um, an attention bucket and a power bucket, and very often their misbehavior is a result of deficiencies in those buckets. So our kids we know need and want and crave positive attention from us. They also need positive power, which means having a sense of control over their own lives, um, having just a sense of dominion, independence, some autonomy. But when you're a kid, you don't have a whole lot of that naturally. And so what happens is when kids aren't getting the sufficient positive attention they need, or they don't feel like they have enough age-appropriate control over their own lives, they start to push back. They, they find negative ways to get our attention. They find negative ways to push our buttons and get that control and power that they're looking for. And to your point, if we can sort of dig a little bit deeper and try to figure out why that behavior is happening, then we can be much more strategic in terms of what strategies or tools we use to fix it. I tried to put this into practice at my house. And, and literally that night, I'm at dinner and my son starts whiling out at dinner. Like it is the hardest time. <laughs> I don't understand. My wife gets so upset because he just wants to party. And I kind of explained to my wife, I said, wait, wait, let's try this thing out. Right. He's obviously he wants something, et cetera. But here's my big confusion is I am pretty present for my son. I, I give him this focused attention and then he still kind of acts out. So my first question is like, how much attention do they need? And when can we say, look, I filled your attention bucket. Now you're just yelling for no reason. Right. And that's a really important question. So you're right. All kids need time and attention from us. But that doesn't mean that we have to be their play partner 24 seven, right? right. Like there's, there comes a time where, yes, you go play independently or let me do a little bit of work or whatever needs to be done. So there are a couple of things that I recommend. First, for those times, Chris, when you are being totally present with him, let's label that time. And I call it mind, body, and soul time because during mind, body, and soul time, the parent is truly present in mind, body, and soul. Like you're not paying attention to what's going on in your phone or anything else. Like you're just totally focused on that child. But you don't have to call it that. You can call it, you know, daddy and Sophie time or whatever it happens right. to be. But the key is you're going to label that time. And so your kids know that, you know, after dinner or before dinner, they get some special time with daddy and we've labeled it. We call it something. It becomes something very special. And then at those other times, well, then that's like time when they can entertain themselves uh, and that sort of thing. But what happens is that when you give that dedicated time and you label it as something, they're like, okay, yes, 
it, it almost checks that box. He filled my attention bucket. And so they tend to be more content at other times. Now, if you find that you're doing those things and you're labeling your special time and you're doing it consistently, but they're still acting up, that is typically an indication that it is escalating into a bit of a power struggle mm. because they know it's a way to push your buttons. Like you get frustrated when they're acting out at dinner. You get frustrated when they have 15 requests before they'll go to bed. <laughs> and that that and they're in control in those situations. And so that's their way of getting their power, although through negative means, but it does it does give them a major power hit. Let's talk about the power aspect, because the attention aspect, I think, is very clear cut in that we know what that means. Now, we might not do it well. Right. We try and multitask, but you gave right. us that great explanation. The power thing seems a little more difficult for me to understand, because part of me is I am the adult and I do have the power. Right. That That's just the fact of the matter. But what do they need as we talk about power? What is it that they are grasping for? Is it control? Is it a sense of individuality? What do they want from this? Yes. Well, they want all of those things. But let me go back to your comment about I'm the parent and I do have some power. And, and that is true. As parents, we inherently have the power. Like it's our house. We kind of make the rules. We're in charge. And that's fine. But the key is if we don't give kids a sufficient amount of their own power, then they tend to fight us on everything. One of the things um, I, I've probably told you about this, Chris, in my class, but we have parents go through this parent personality assessment in mm -hmm. our program. And we parents have different types of personalities. Like my, my personality is very controlling. And so parents who are like me, who tend to be very controlling and want things done a certain way, we tend to have more of those power struggles because we want to hold on to all the power. We want to decide how things will be done and when and so forth. And so our kids will naturally fight back against that power. So we're going to have some power because we're the parents, but if we don't really take the time to give our kids positive power, we're going to have ongoing battles. So, um, you know, what kind of power do they want? Well, they want to have some control over their own lives. So think about you have a four-year-old, so your four-year-old can totally be picking out. It's a boy, right, Chris? Yes. Okay. He can totally be picking out his own clothes. He can help be helping you guys with menu selection, kind of figuring out the menu for the week. Mm. He can... Um, if you think about your, your kitchen or your house, I always like to think if no adults lived in this house, how could we organize this home so the kids could function independently? So putting more things down at your four-year-old's height, having the clothes in his closet, the clothing rod down where he can pick his own clothes, any of those things that we can do to increase his sense of independence where he doesn't have to depend on us for something that gives him a huge hit of positive and productive power. Does that make sense? It does. And you kind of just blew my mind a little bit. And here, here's why. <laughs> and I'm sure so many parents can can identify with this. We're busy, right? Both both me and mm -hmm. my wife work. Um, and I travel a lot. And so it, sometimes, or even perhaps the majority of the times, it's just about getting through the day and yes. having everybody survive and not be wearing, you know, shorts in three degree weather, right? Here's a great example. I'm like, hey, put your pants on and he's dawdling. So I just put them on for him. How do we balance this idea of I want you to I want him to be independent. I want him to be able to do things, but I kind of need him to do them at my pace. 
Right. And that's really hard. I suspect that your personality probably falls into that controlling category. Would that be accurate? Well, here's the other thing. I actually was going to ask you, I'd say my wife is a little more controlling. I'm probably less so, except those few times where we are on a tight timeline. So it actually shifts. Yes. No, I totally get that. So here's one of the things that I always remind parents, and this is sort of a, this is so obvious, but we just have to constantly remind ourselves that kid priorities are not the same as parent priorities. Like they don't care what time we have to get out of the (laughs) house for work. That's our problem, not theirs. You know, they don't care whether there's stuff, you know, all over the floor. That's something we care about, not them. And so when we think about all of those times where it's something that is our priority and not theirs, something we need them to do like now, 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 that's an opportunity for a power struggle. So let's go to that example with getting dressed in the morning. So the first thing that you can do is like right out of the shoot in the morning, give him some mind, body, and soul time. Just like five minutes where you're just like calm and laying in his bed, rubbing his back, whatever. That totally changes the energy in the morning. When we do that kind of on the front end, they tend to be more cooperative in getting through the rest of their day. The other thing that you can do is really kind of give him the control. So have him pick out his clothes the night before, and then you can set up what we call a when-then routine. So in the morning, his when-then routine is when he gets the yucky stuff done, the stuff he doesn't really care about, then he can enjoy the fun stuff. So it could be for a four-year-old, when you're dressed, your hair is combed, your bed is made. And what I mean by that is you just pull the comforter up <laughs> right. and your shoes are on and your backpack is by the door. Then we'll have breakfast or then you can have a little bit of t- TV time if you allow that in the morning mm-hmm. or then we'll have some more special time. But if we're trying to make them go chop, chop, chop is, you know, rushing them through the schedule, I guarantee you they're going to be just digging in their heels and fighting back. Okay, really quick, I'm going to interrupt this interview for a message from one of our sponsors this week. And yes, this is Chris, by the way, so you know it's important. Our sponsor this week is Away. Away creates thoughtful products designed to change how you see the world. They started with the perfect suitcase, and now they offer a range of essentials that solve real travel problems. So all you have to think about is where you're headed next. Now, you may or may not know this, but I fly probably a hundred plus times a year. I honestly haven't added up the miles, but it is insane. And it's funny because just last week I went to the wrong airport. Yes. I live close enough to two airports that I pulled up to Dulles, get to the security line and they tell me, sir, you're supposed to be at Reagan. Needless to say, I missed my flight, spent a few hundred dollars in change fees, a few extra hours in the airport and wasn't pleased. Those unexpected hours drained my battery. Luckily, my new Away carry-on has a built-in battery that also ejects with the push of a button so you can carry it with you and it meets all TSA requirements. That's just one feature of these suitcases. They are super lightweight. Oh, and if your bag ever gets damaged, they will fix it or replace it for free. Look, I could go on about the different parts about Away, the 360-degree spinner wheels, the removable laundry bag that comes with it. But really, I just want to say this. I travel all the time. And this is one thing that has made my travel easier 
faster, and more organized. For $20 off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com smart and use promo code smart during checkout. Again, for 20 bucks off a suitcase, go to awaytravel.com smart and use promo code smart during checkout. Now let's get back to this awesome episode. Is it more of a mindset of try to figure out as many areas as possible in which your child can make decisions for themselves, and that will shorten or diminish the amount of areas where they push back on the decisions you make for them? Absolutely. So the more opportunities we have to what I call create a decision-rich environment, so you know, each year they're making more and more important decisions for themselves. The more we can do that, the more power they're going to have. And we can also increase independence. Um, You know, in your example, it was that getting dressed in the morning, but there's all sorts of different, you know, that doesn't just apply to four-year-olds. It applies to 14-year-olds as well, but it's kind of a, a couple of step process. So the first step is always take time for training, train them, outside of the moment, not in the heat of the moment, on what you want them to do. The second part is make it part of a when-then routine, like I just talked about, Mm -hmm. and then give them tons of encouragement when they do those things. Here's the thing. It takes so much work. It takes so much thought. You know, this is actually a question I've had for quite some time. I'm a big believer in a lot of the things that we need to do, we have evolved to do, or we do naturally. Take food, for example. I think food is getting really overly complicated. Uh, I think if we kind of go back to, if we really put on our logic hats and think, what should we be eating? It kind of falls under the Michael Pollan, you know, eat food, not too much, mostly plants. I feel like the same thing should be true about parenting, right? We have been parents as a species forever. Why do we not inherently know how to do it? To me, the thing that I am always pushing back on is I go a little hard on my boys because I think I need to raise resilient kids. They can't cry at everything. So sometimes I think I go a little too hard on them and I'm like, well, why is my intuition telling me this, but I'm not supposed to be doing this? Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is such a big question. All right. So first you're right. Parents have been, people have been having children forever. Why does it feel more difficult now? And there are some societal reasons for that. So let's get to this whole issue, talk about this whole issue of getting kids to like do things for themselves and be independent. Well, two generations ago or three generations ago, you know, families lived on farms. They had family businesses. You know, as soon as kids could walk, they were helping with tasks on the farm. Right. Mm. So. From the be- you know, from the beginning, they were raised to help, to contribute. They were trained in tasks. Now, we don't have the time for that. We're too busy. We're now more of a service-based society, so we hire out for a lot of different things. So kids don't have to contribute for the family to function. And so what tends to happen is adults take over. We do things for them that they're perfectly capable of doing for themselves with a little bit of training. 
And then we ask them to do things and they resist and we figure, oh, I'll just do it myself. It's quicker yes. and easier because we're stressed. We don't have time. The pace of society has is so much faster than even it, as even it was 10 years ago when I was working with parents. It's just with technology, the lightning speed of everything, we don't have time. Our expectations are different for how quickly we want things done. And all of that plays into our parenting. The other whole sort of societal difference is just the norms of communication. You know, two generations ago, it was okay for dad to demand that dinner be on the table at a certain time and like dad makes the rules and that's the way it is. It's not like that today. And kids understand that that change in the norms of communication and the power hierarchy. And so they rightly feel like they want to have some control over their own lives. They can't be ruling the roost, but they do need to have some control. So it's that, this is a very long answer to your question. No, no, this is fantastic. But it's that tug between, for us, the way things have always been, and this is the way I was raised, versus the way society is just naturally shifting in terms of that hierarchy of power and and who's in control and that whole thing. And so that's where we that's where we run into the rub as parents. We want them to just obey and do what we want, but it's just not consistent with the world in which they're growing up in. Yeah, I love the kind of example you use of just a few generations ago, really early on, they were asked to contribute. I mean, it, whether it be the farm or even you're only talking 50, 60 years ago, the difference being so immense that parenting styles have to adapt accordingly. Absolutely. And, you know, we talked about power a little while ago. If you, an, another term that we use for power is like significance, that sense of I, I matter, I make a difference, I contribute in meaningful ways. Well, imagine being a child and contributing in such meaningful ways for your family. Like the family can't function unless I'm milking cows or collecting eggs or whatever the things that I did on the farm. Right. But kids don't have those same opportunities to feel that sense of positive significance or power or influence. And so they tend to resort to these negative means to get it. And that's where we, you know, as a parent, we're thinking, oh my goodness, how do I, what do I do with this? I have no idea. I don't have the tools to respond to these um, these power demands. Well, this is fantastic. I think we've set a, a really strong foundation because I want to get into a lot of just specifics. What do I do when this, this, this? I think it, it helps with the tactical aspect. But before we do that, I just want to take a step back because again, one of my favorite things is your whole, I'm a big believer in not the brand, but the message. And your whole thing is positive parenting, right? The positive parenting solution and all that. Tell us how this all came to be. How did you get here? What kind of brought this to the forefront for you? And why this idea of positive parenting? Well, I'm certainly not the first parenting educator to talk about parent positive parenting, but kind of how it came to be part of my life is when my kids were little, I was struggling with the same things that you're talking about, Chris. Mm -hmm. You know, like, why? <laughs> why? don't they listen? You know, I came from um, a corporate kind of high level job where that came very easily to me, but kind of managing, I use that word in quotes, managing these little people was, I was completely bewildered. And I thought, how can this be so difficult? I'm reasonably smart. I'm loving, I'm nurturing, you know, there must be a better way. And so I started taking parenting classes, positive parenting classes. And um, it was just life changing for me. Like, I can't even tell you <laughs> the difference mm. in my life. And so I just kept studying and studying and um, just sort of my first love is always training people, training adults. 
And so I just, you know, took kind of everything that I learned and um, I felt like there needed to be an easier way for people to learn it rather than slogging through books and, you know, all of this nonsense. There's so much stuff out there. I felt like uh, I could put it together in a way that would be really easy for parents to understand and they could get quick results. And so kind of fast forward, I created this curriculum and launched Positive Parenting Solutions, taught it all over. I live in Raleigh, North Carolina, so taught it all over the different towns in North Carolina and then eventually went online. That was when online training became mm. a big thing. And so now I work with parents all over the world. I work with um, corporations who recognize that parenting stress is a real factor in their employees' productivity. And so I just love teaching parents tools that they can like use that day and start to see results. So it's the best job ever. Well, how would you define the idea of positive parenting? What's the big difference there? Good question. So positive parenting is recognizing that children want to do well right? They want to behave well. They want to cooperate. And if they are trained properly, and if we're meeting their emotional needs for attention and power, if they're feeling significant, they're going to do that. But sometimes, you know, kids will misbehave because they're kids and that's just what, that's just what happens. But it's that recognition that Kids don't do better when we when we punish them, when we're harsh on them, when we yell or we physically punish them. That doesn't help anybody, a child or an adult, be inspired to do better in the future. And so instead, if we could take every one of those little misbehavior moments as a learning opportunity and think, okay, why is this behavior happening in the first place? And how can I use positive methods to help that child learn to make a better choice in the future. That is just so much more empowering for kids. It feels so much better to kids and to parents. Um, and it's just, you know, there, there are lots of ways and tools and things to do that, but it starts from that, that um, sort of foundational principle that, you know, everyone has that sense for power and attention. And if we meet those needs in positive ways, we can bring out the absolute best in our kids. How do we as parents navigate knowing that we should be more, call it empathetic, call it mature in the moment of such frustration? I'm sure you deal with that. People say, I want to do this, but I just get so mad the 15th time they do X, Y, Z. Yes. Yes. And I've been, we've all been there and I totally understand that. So the first thing is, I want to go back to what you said. Something happens and I halt my response, my halt, my, um, my, my feeling that I want to yell. Mm. So just one little quick tip that I always give to parents is when that thing is happening, whatever it is, if it's a sibling fight or whatever, I always start my sentence with, wow. Because when I say, wow, that gives me a minute to think about mm. what I'm going to say next. So let's say it's a sibling fight. You can say, wow, looks like we're having a problem here. Wow, looks like you guys are having a hard time getting along. But just starting with that wow mm -hmm. gives me a moment to sort of collect my thoughts, calm myself down, and then I can proceed. But to your question, how... How do you manage the in the moment thing? Well, remember your job in the moment is really not to teach or discipline in the moment. It's all about just helping that child calm his body down, mm. right? For a four-year-old, it's really hard when something bad happens or he gets upset about something. He doesn't have the, um, the skills and the, and the, 
um, emotional control to sort of bring himself back to center. So he needs us to help him with that. Wait, wait, can I, can I pause you there? Because you just struck on something so magical. I do get sick of crying. Like I just get sick of it. What are some other solutions to help our kids deal with their emotions? Because I know how important that is. It is so important. And the two words that I would encourage you to write down and put this on sticky notes around your house, um, it's skill deficit, right? In those moments when he's having the meltdown, it's not a misbehavior, it's a skill deficit. He doesn't have the skills to calm his body down. Are you familiar, Chris, with that Elmo um, YouTube video? No. So um, just search Elmo belly breathing on YouTube. Okay. And there's this wonderful little clip where Elmo is teaching the kids how to do belly breathing. And for young kids, they love that. That's awesome. So that's one thing. The other thing is you can do a Google search for, um, you know, helping kids calm big feelings or angry feelings, but little things like (sighs) blowing out the candle helping them recognize where the feeling is coming from. So again, this is, isn't so much in the moment when he's having the meltdown, but help him try to recognize physically where that feels. Like, does his belly feel hot? Does his head feel hot? Where is he feeling that physically? And it is that sort of progression of recognizing the physical feeling and then, okay, what can we do with that? And that's where you practice all those different strategies. And he's not going to take to every one, mm-hmm. but he may like blowing out the candle better than he likes laying on the floor and doing the belly breathing. So you'll try different things. Now you're going to practice that outside the moment, uh-huh. but when he, that's the key thing. Yeah. Gotcha. Practice, practice, role play over and over again outside of the moment. But he's not going to be able to do that when his reptilian brain is activated in the moment. Yeah. So I always like to have some side of some sort of nonverbal cue. So if your um, methodology is blowing out the balloon, you could hold, or excuse me, blowing out the candle, you could hold up a finger and blow out that candle or just have some non, or if it's belly breathing, you put your hand on your belly and you kind of do it with him, but just some nonverbal to kind of remind him of that. And you are the bridge to help him get to those skills Mm. and then you do it with him. So it's going to take a while until he can recognize that feeling and think, oh yes, I have skills to deal with that. That takes a little while. And now a quick word from this week's sponsor. This week's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Is there something that interferes with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? If so, BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who are specialized in issues such as depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, grief, self-esteem, and more. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. Anything you share is confidential and it's so convenient. You can now get help at your own time and at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions plus chat and text with your therapist. If you're not happy with your counselor, you can request a new one at any time at no additional charge. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option. And for Smart People podcast listeners, get 10% off your first month with discount code SMART. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com smart. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash smart and use offer code smart. And now back to the episode. 
I gotcha. Okay. Well, I kind of alluded to this, but one thing I've really wondered about is the you know ever-present go to your room. How do you feel about timeout? Yes. So as you might guess, I have a definite opinion on that. Well, that's why I'm asking the expert, okay? <laughs> I don't know where I've heard these opinions, so yes. I'll just ask you. <laughs> right. So my recommendation would be that you do not use timeout and for several reasons. The first one is, and I know why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. You're like, you know, buddy, you know, calm yourself down and and then we'll we'll deal with this. Mm-hmm. But exactly. when you send the child to his room, he views that as a punishment. I've been bad and dad is sending me away. As opposed to sort of helping him through that tough time that he's having. The second problem is that it it reinforces that expressing his feelings, like he's crying, he's upset about something. It reinforces that that's bad, like that's a misbehavior. You shouldn't mm. cry. Um, and, and again, we can discuss whether, you know, I, I know you have some feelings about that, that you don't want him to be crying. But, but the third thing, and the most important thing, Chris, is that when we send him away to his room, that doesn't teach him to do anything differently in the future. It doesn't give him any new tools, any any new skills, resources to make a better choice next time. So instead of sending him to his room, let's help him in the moment, calm his body down, and then recognize, okay, we've got some work to do here. We have some training to do, or we need a new strategy, or we need to tweak our routines, or whatever the situation is, and then we can deal with that outside of the moment. It all makes sense. Even when I do send him to his room, most of the time it's because I'm like, I know if you are in my presence, it's going to get even worse. So much of it must come down to managing our own emotions and our own frustrations. Do you have either tips or research, things that that prove this happens and here's a good way to, to deal with it as an adult? Absolutely. So let me go back to two other quick things with the timeout. Oh, great. Okay. So the first, I should have said this, the other big problem, if you have a strong willed child, a powerful child, and you send them to the timeout chair or whatever, very often strong willed kids are like, "Mm -mm, not having any of that. (laughs) And so they're getting out of the timeout chair and then you're taking them back and they're getting out and you're taking them back. And you can see where this turns into a totally new power struggle that you never intended to have. So here's the thing. Remember when I talked about mind, body, and soul time at the beginning? Yeah. All right. So this is the key to it all. If we can schedule, and I mean make part of our routine, it is a non-negotiable that every day we have at least one 10 or 15 minute mind, body, and soul time with each of our kids, that is that will fend off so much misbehavior. And that's why I always start with that, because if you start doing that on a daily basis, those episodes that you have, or you had, of the meltdowns, the pushback, the power struggles, the dawdling at bedtime, all of those things, that will start to diminish. I'm not going to say it's going to solve every single one, but I promise you that is going to start to diminish. So let's put that on the table first as the most important thing we need to do. But when things do come up, how do we manage our own emotions? Well, the first thing is you said, I send him to his room because I need a moment. And that is valid. And there is nothing wrong with saying to your child, I am feeling really angry right now. I'm feeling really frustrated. I'm going to walk outside so I can calm my body down Mm. so we can talk about this. That is incredible modeling for your kids. 
Or you can say like, particularly for a little older kids, you can say, I'd love you too much to fight with you about this. I'm going to take a few minutes and calm down so we can talk about this calmly. But recognizing that your feelings are valid, it's okay for you to be frustrated or angry or whatever. And because you're an adult, you know how to manage those. And so just acknowledging them. And I'm going to take a little break, go outside, calm my body down, and then I'm here for you, buddy. Yeah, the modeling aspect, that makes a lot of sense because you're not just doing it. You're also showing them how to handle it. Exactly. Now, a couple other tips that I would have for keeping your emotions in check. Mm -hmm. um, I'm very big on visual cues. So um, just simple things like a post-it note, like around the house, in the bathroom, in your car, wherever that says calm voice. Just seeing that over and over again will remind you, put alerts on your phone that say calm voice. Um, think about your physical environment, recognize what helps you. So for a lot of people, it's playing classical music, you know, low in the background or spa music, having candles, like whatever it is that helps calm your environment, that can be really helpful to you. The other thing that I recommend is when you're talking to your kids, Chris, mm -hmm. if you can think about just the tone of your voice, just in general talking and the volume. So speak a little bit more softly, slow it down and talk with a smile on your face. Like that makes all the difference because our kids totally mirror our energy. Mm. And so when we slow it down and calm it down, like you will totally see that coming from your kids. I'm curious if you have any thoughts on how to teach volume control. I mean, again, this is quite specific, but I'd imagine my, my son's in you know preschool. I see a lot of kids like this. My son talks all the time. Like he talks all <laughs> the time. And sometimes he talks loudly. Do you have any tips for parents on this idea of volume or interruptions and things like that? Okay. So the volume thing, that is, again, having that nonverbal signal. Mm. Um, and hopefully he'll, again, you do training outside of the moment. You role play it. The role playing is super important. And you do two-way role play. So he's the kid and you're the parent, but then do it the other way. So you're the loud kid and he does the nonverbals with you to have, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So he's practicing that with you. And then you pick one time of the day when he tends to be really loud. Like maybe it's, you know, um, in the evenings when you're trying to get, or during the afternoon when you're trying to get the, um, 11 month old down for a nap, that's quiet time. Yeah. And so you practice during just that one little time of the day. And then you build on it, build on it. Um, maybe, you know, you can kind of pick those other times, but those nonverbal cues are really important. And also, if it's a quiet time of the day, then you, like if it's nap time, you would want to be talking to him in your softest voice mm. so that hopefully he's going to model that. Um, but, you know, just some of this is just going to take time and practice and training because he's four and he's excited about everything. And, you know, he has one channel loud, right? <laughs> yeah. One thing I see all my friends, everyone I know has kids my age. I mean, it's just that time of life right now. And almost all of them deal with this issue of interruptions. What, right. do, what do we do? How do we teach it? Because currently we're going, the adults are talking. We'll get to you in a moment. But I always wonder, all of this parenting thing seems like a balance between showing them the love and attention of little human needs and also preparing them for the real world. And I don't always know what the right balance is. 
Yes. So that is such an important question. So I'm glad we're talking about this issue of interruptions. Remember at the beginning, you would ask about, you know, like how much attention is enough? Yeah. And like, I feel like I give him tons of attention, but he shouldn't be demanding it constantly. And this is the perfect example of that. So we know kids have that attention bu bucket and they need positive attention. But there is what we call, sometimes that can cross over to what we call undue attention. Mm -hmm. Undue attention is when the child is demanding attention in inappropriate ways or at inappropriate times, which is exactly what we're describing here. Like right. your wife, you and your wife having a conversation. That is undue attention. It's a demand for attention that's not appropriate. When he's asking for 85 things before he goes to bed, that is undue attention. You've already given him his wonderful uh, attention and time and mind, body, and soul time and all of that. Mm -hmm. So we have to prepare a plan for those undue attention moments. So we know what the problem behavior is. He's interrupting when you and your wife are having a conversation. So we always start with take time for training. So let's do a training on the appropriate way to interrupt. So if you and your wife are having a conversation, how can he get your attention? And so you'll want to do some training on how he can come over and gently put his hand on your elbow or on your knee or your shoulder, you know, depending on kind of your position, mm -hmm. he can put his hand on your elbow. And then what you will do is just, you know, put a finger up like, okay, buddy, I, I see that you want my attention. And mm -hmm. as soon as I'm done with this couple of sentences with mom, I'll get right to you. And so then when he does that, then you kind of quickly wrap it up and you see what he needs. You know, buddy, thanks for waiting. What can I help you with? Because we want him to see that that more positive behavior gives him results. This week's episode is brought to you by Rothy's. Have you heard about this company making stylish shoes for women and girls out of recycled plastic water bottles? Oh, and they're insanely comfortable and machine washable. Rothy's has quickly grown to a most loved gotta have them brand. It's no surprise they have over a thousand nearly perfect reviews. Rothy's shoes are stylish, sustainable, and comfortable enough for everyday wear. But you don't have to take it from me. I don't wear them, but luckily my wife Amanda does. Amanda, what do you think about your Rothy's? I love my Rothy's. I got the gray camo sneaker and they are super cute and go with everything that I own. They're honestly the most comfortable pair of shoes that I have ever had. John, I know this is going to kill you, but I can't wait to see what new colors and patterns that Rothy's comes out with in the future. Oh boy. Well, at least they're manufactured in a zero waste factory. Rothy's are the everyday flats for life on the go. They come in a wide range of colors and patterns, and they're available in four different silhouettes. Plus, they're constantly launching new styles, so you're guaranteed to find a pair, or three, that you'll love. Since Rothy's are seamlessly crafted from recycled water bottles, they're ultra comfortable as soon as you slip them on. That's right, there's zero break-in period in these shoes. Plus, Rothy's always comes with free shipping and free returns and exchanges. No risk, no worries, no reason not to try. Check out all the amazing styles available right now at rothys.com smart. Go to rothys, R-O-T-H-Y-S, dot com slash smart to get your new favorite flats comfort style and sustainability these are the shoes you've been waiting for head to rothys.com slash smart today and now back to the episode yeah you know why i love that so much because 
we tried a similar approach, but instead of the, you know, put your hand here or there, we used the, hey, you know, the nice thing to say is, excuse me, right? And, yeah. and he did. I mean, he took to that right away. Here's the problem. And you can already envision it. We're talking, he says, excuse me once, we don't turn around. And then he says it 30 times. Excuse me, excuse me. And in his head, he's thinking, guys, I did what you told me. Yes. Where is my focus? So right. it's con constantly thinking about to them, how is it appearing? And then finding kind of a, a, a process that works for everyone. Absolutely. And I think what we do is we we isolate those situations. So the first one, Chris, that we should work on is that you and your wife are having a conversation and he interrupts. So let's mm -hmm. take time for training. Let's do role play where you do it all different ways. It's you and your wife talking and he interrupts and then you and him talking and your wife interrupts and like you go through all the different sort of uh, possibilities there. You practice it in the moment. Then if he He's been in a habit of interrupting you, so you might have to give him just a nonverbal cue to start with. Like you, you know, you touch your elbow just to remind him that's what we do mm. when when it's a real life situation. But then immediately you stop what you're doing, give him attention. That is encouragement and reinforcement for him. Then we tackle the next undue attention behavior, which might be the nighttime routine for you, or you know. There might be a number of other things, but we sort of tackle those one by one. And as we get improvement in one area, then that makes the next one easier and the next one easier. What do we do in these kind of meltdown moments? So it could either be tantrums or whining. You know, everybody has the stereotypical you're in a grocery store and they ask for something that they can't have. How do I handle these, okay. these absolute <laughs> meltdowns? And, and Chris, I have to apologize. None of my answers are short. No, so, it's totally fine. <laughs> so the whole meltdown thing, we kind of talked about that earlier with helping them calm their feelings. But let's talk about the whining thing. So that's another area where you do that training. So, you know, if they're, Dad, I want this. Yeah. Like, talk about what that whiny voice sounds like. We train, take time for training on the more appropriate behavior. We role play it. We have that nonverbal in the moment. And like circling your finger like a do-over is a great nonverbal cue in the moment when you need them to ask in a, in their, don't say big boy voice or mm. big girl voice. It's just your regular voice. Um, and, and we do that training. Now, the other thing that we have to do is as the parents, we need to be the smart ones and what I call control the environment. So if you don't want them to wear flip-flops in February, you pack the flip-flops away out of sight. So it's not even an option, mm. right? If you don't want them to wear the rain boots on 95 <laughs> degree weather, you had them out of sight. Or the other thing is you just let them wear them and experience the natural consequence of being hot and miserable. And then they probably don't want to wear it next time. Yeah. So sometimes it's just like letting it play out. Like if it's not going to cause danger or like any big problems, sometimes you just let it play out. Other times it's controlling the environment and removing those triggers. If, um, you know, having, cheese puffs or, you know, whatever snack is a constant battle. Well, you don't, you just don't bring those in the house. You know, there's so many things that we deal with as parents that we wish would be different, but how often in a moment of clarity, do we step back and say, what happened? Potentially, why did it happen? And in a perfect world, what is the solution? And how do I make that come to fruition? I very rarely after the moment, step back and think, how do I prevent this from happening again? It's almost like Groundhog's Day. We just get mad in the moment. Yes. It does or it doesn't change. And then we do it again the next day. 
Yeah, and I think it comes back to what you said at the very beginning about we don't have time to do all this. Exactly, exactly. But what happens is if you take the time to do this stuff, you gain more time. I promise you, you get that back tenfold in good behavior. Like the mind, body, and soul time. You invest 10 or 15 minutes in this one-on-one time, promise you'll get that time back tenfold in good behavior. Fewer power struggles, fewer battles. You're going to feel just like lighter, like you have more time. And so for so many of these things, if we can just take that time to do the training, do the practice, figure out the solutions, if we're solution-focused rather than punishment-focused, then we're preparing them to be successful in the future. And that makes our job so much easier. One of the biggest things as a parent that I think most people I know are concerned about is raising independent, grateful, capable little humans who are going to turn into big humans. So it's this balance between being a loving parent, letting them have and get what they want, but also kind of struggling a little bit. What is the balance between, you want to call it that free range parenting and that controlling parenting? Yeah. So you said independent, capable, I think maybe responsible was another part of it. So that is, that is so much in taking time for training, training them on new ways to contribute, new tasks around the house, new responsibilities. Every year they should be gaining new skills and new responsibilities again, two generations or three generations ago on the farm, everybody contributed. And that's the, that's what you want because you want to raise kids who are independent, are capable, can function on their own. So giving them responsibilities, holding them accountable to that, super important. In terms of how much rope do you give them? Well, you start small and you give them a little bit of rope. If they're successful with that, then you can give them a little bit more rope. I'm not a big fan of going free range right out of the chute. I think that you um, kids demonstrate responsibility, have... I'm including, you know, given the fact that we've done the training and everything on the front end, we turn that responsibility over to them. If they do well, then we give them more and more and more. Our goal is that when they graduate from high school, they are completely self-sufficient. They can manage their finances. They can change a tire. They can completely take care of a home. They can completely take care of themselves. They are completely independent, but that doesn't happen unless we're kind of training them each year in new skills and and giving them new responsibilities. How do you feel about letting them fail? It is so hard. And and that topic has come up again recently with the whole college admission scandal. Oh, right. Um, But so in my my second book, The Me, Me, Me Epidemic, I talk about that a lot. And and you really have to... um, allow kids to fail. Now we have to do our job in terms of doing the training and setting the expectations and making sure that they know what failure looks like and will be. Uh, We have to sort of set that up ahead of time, but then we have to let them take the reins and learn those lessons for themselves. If we're constantly rescuing them, if we're constantly driving the homework to school, the lunchbox, if we're intervening with coaches and teachers, if we're writing college essays for them, they never learn to function on their own. They don't They don't experience what success and failure on their own looks like or feels like, and they don't develop the resilience that comes from failure. Yeah. Well, the the overall theme for me is also recognize, although they might be little, depending on the age, they're still quite capable. And if you start with that and understand they just need to learn the skills and they will usually happily put them into action, 
then we'll all be better off. Absolutely. And if you, for people who, for listeners who have kids in preschool, go and observe in the preschool classroom and see how, and see how capable your kids are. See how they follow the routine beautifully without prompting. See how they serve themselves and wash their own hands and all the different things that they're trained to do in the classroom environment, because teachers know that our kids are so capable. But we as parents tend to do things for them that they're totally capable of doing for themselves. <laughs> so true. So true. Well, Amy, I, I can't believe how fast this time went. My mind is blown. We need another hour. I, we really do. And so <laughs> maybe sometime in the future, we'll have you back because I know you're you're busy. I did want to mention because the time went so fast and you have so much great information on this. First, the two books that jumped out to me, you have The Me, Me, Me Epidemic, A Step-by-Step -Step Guide to Raising Capable, Grateful Kids in an Over-Entitled World. And then you also have, if I have to tell you one more time, the revolutionary program that gets your kids to listen without nagging, reminding, or yelling. But I wanted to pause for a minute because you also have a lot of great content out there. Where can us struggling parents go to learn from you, to continue to learn from you, and become better parents? Well, if listeners want to go to our website, which is Positive Parenting Solutions, plural.com, positiveparentingsolutions.com. We have just a ton of material there. Uh, parents can take a free class and learn a lot of these principles. Um, they can enroll in our very comprehensive class that teaches all of the tools in the toolbox. There's a blog that has tons of articles with great information. So I think just coming to the website is the great um, step for parents to get a lot of tools and strategies that they can start using right away. Yeah, and I actually want to take a minute to let my listeners know I watched a full, I believe it was an hour-long webinar that you put on, and I have tried to watch a lot of webinars, but usually it's 80% sales pitch, 20% content, and yours was, I believe, like 99% content. I don't remember if you tried to sell me anything. Um, <laughs> I was just like, this is amazing, and I was just soaking it up, uh, and that's when I then became aware of the books. So I just want to highlight to people, go check it out, you know, if you're dealing with kids of probably most ages, it will really help if this conversation resonated with you. So Amy, thank you again so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. And thanks for helping us parents uh, try to navigate all these landmines. Thanks for having me, Chris. That was Amy McCready. Hope you enjoyed the interview. Amy's books, If I Have to Tell You One More Time, and The Me, Me, Me Epidemic can be found at your local bookstore. If you'd like to support Smart People Podcast, you can head over to Patreon at patreon.com slash smartpeoplepodcast. And if you're looking for a free and easy way to support the show, you can head over to iTunes and Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review for the show. If you'd like to reach out to the show, you can email us at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. And you can always stay up to date with everything by signing up for the newsletter at smartpeoplepodcast.com. Com. All right, that's it for us this week. Make sure you stay tuned. We've got a lot of great interviews coming up. So we'll see you all next episode. Mm -hmm.